This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good day, Adam. How are you? Ah, pretty good, thanks. How are you going? Yeah, doing all right. That's the way. Uh, big show coming up. Thank you out there for joining us once again, uh, or welcome if you're tuning in for the first time. Got a nice message during the week, actually. Shout out to Vanessa, who sent us a message on Instagram, at CBE Podcast, said that she heard us read out the review last week, which we got, which was actually meant for Talk Money To Me, another good podcast on Equity Mates Media. Um, so she decided to take the time out to let us know that she loves our podcast and can't wait for it to be posted every week. So thank you, Vanessa. A uh, big shout out to you. Um, she said it would be great if we could make more episodes. Well, good news, Vanessa. We're making one right now. <laughs> uh, genuinely appreciate you tuning in, though. We, we do love the support. Thomas, big show coming up. Uh, Woolworth mm. says consumption is slowing. Are we eating out more or are we just not as hungry as we used to be? <laughs> Uh, The Australian government bought some stocks with our money, so we'll check in and see how the people of Australia's share portfolio is performing. Fingers crossed that it's going well. Would you let me scan your eyeball if I promised to give you some crypto? Well, WorldCoin wants to, so we'll find out what that's all about. But first, Thomas, in the words of Bruce Buffer... This is it. It's the big show. The thing we've we've tolerated all of your economic musings on things like Trump speculating on buy now pay later and whatever the hell the Panama Papers was about. But now, Thomas, it's your time. It's inflation time, baby. What do you got? <laughs> yeah, this is this is probably the most important data in the in the stable right now. Uh, and it did move markets as well. So inflation came in. So remember, inflation's the how much the price of stuff is increasing. Mm-hmm. Came in at 0.8% in the quarter, which was in line with expectations. Uh, annual CPI down at 3%, down from we had 3.8% in the June quarter. Um, so slowing a little bit, driven by transport and housing, largely petrol prices, and that petrol price is going to keep kicking into December. As well, so the interesting the interesting thing though is that the trimmed mean. So the ABS publishes this data, which tries to cut through a bit of the noise. You get some sort of choppy, mm. choppy uh, data in the series just by the nature of it. And the RBA is really interested in the sort of the core measure of inflation. They're not looking for sort of like temporary blips, but they want to look at the the core measure of inflation. Mm. 
And that was up 0.7% versus market expectations of 0.5 to give us 2.1% over the year. And that puts us back in the RBA's target band. So remember the RBA has a target band of 2 to 3%. Mm-hmm. So as an inflation targeting central bank, they're going to use interest rates to keep inflation within the 2 to 3% target band. And so we got back in the target band, back at 2.1%, and that's the first time since 2015 we found ourselves back in the target band. Mm. Is this one of those things where, like, so the target, like, because we're dealing with pretty small increments here. So 2 to 3% is the target band. Are, are they kind of going, right, we're back in there now, or do they really need to see it get to, like, 2.5% before they start thinking about trying to control it with interest rates? Yeah, I think, yeah, he, Phil Lowe has said recently he wants to see it, you know, sustainable and, and in the target band. So it's not just, so now now we're here, we're mm. fine. So it's like sort of there's no case to, to hike interest rates until it gets above 3%. So you think about in, hiking interest rates pulls inflation down, mm. lowering interest rates pushes inflation up. It doesn't work exactly like that, but that's sort of the theory. Yeah, so this is a real no case until it gets above 3%. And one of the other thing that, that Phil Lowe said recently or through the year, and this is sort of new for the RBA, is they're saying that, they, that it really hinges on wages and they're not really going to be interested in hiking uh, rates until they get wages in around 3 to 4%. And right now they're running at 1.7%. The next result's out in, in November, mid-November. But there's, no wage, there's not enough wages pressures there to, to trigger the RBA to hike rates. Right. So the RBA said they were, gonna, they were targeting 2024, didn't they, for, for a rate increase? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So they haven't changed that position? They haven't changed that position, but nobody believes them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> did anyone believe them in the first place? Uh, I think I did, and I think I do. Like, I think, I'm not sure. So markets are now expecting a, a rate, rate hike. That's pretty pretty consistent across the big banks. AMP Shane Oliver saying, penciling a small increase in the cash rate from 0.1% to 0.025% in November 2022. Hang on, point, an increase from 0.1% to 0.025. That's a decrease. Oh, sorry, 0.25. Sorry, good catch. Oh. Yeah, 0.25, sorry. Hey. Okay, you're on it. Oh, man, jeez. <laughs> carrying the show this week. <laughs> I think we know who the economist in the family is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's he's saying up up to 0.25 in November next year, 2022, and then another 0.25 in December, and that's what they're expecting. So ending ending 2022 at 0.5%, so a full year ahead of what the RBA is talking about, and that's pretty consistent now. Like a lot of the CBA is expecting the same. Most of the major banks are. Um, because they see inflation sort of getting away, so there's sort of a question here. It's probably in the in the for the old RBA that's probably true, but it does seem that there has been a sort of a philosophical shift at the RBA where they're now. I think I think they're feeling like they've been too hard on inflation, and they need to let wages pressure build to get the inflation that they want. And until they see that, they kind of think there's just a sort of deflationary trend in the system. So it's more of a structural problem, and so you need that wages growth. And so I'm, I, I think there has been a shift, and I'm not sure if if the if the banks are re, are really clocking that shift. And I, I would expect, you know, we could get inflation into the threes and the fours, and until wages get up, then we're probably not going to see rate hikes. I think so. There's a there's a question there about how genuine the RBA has been in this in this change of philosophy. Mm, I like it though. I like that we're looking at a situ- a scenario where 
it's Thomas v the big banks mm, mm. because they've obviously they've they've showed their hand and said it's going to go up. You're saying, yeah, you're saying you're not so sure, not so sure, yeah, or maybe you're saying it's not going to happen. Yeah. So this could be a big coup for you, Thomas. This could be yeah, your right. your the, defining moment, defining moment of my where, career, where I believed what <laughs> Phil Lowe said. Yeah, <laughs> the only one. <laughs> Phil's gonna, you'll probably get invited to dinner at Phil's house. You'll, you'll be, you'll be hosted. The only guy who who believed me when when I said that we were going to raise rates till two thousand and twenty-four. Yeah. I mean, it's a chat like because a lot the media has been making a lot of it, and I always wonder. I always wonder how much you know things are influenced by like it becomes self-fulfilling. You know, hmm. people are like oh no, nah, the inflation's going up. We're gonna, they're going to have to raise rates, and then that just starts getting reproduced everywhere and, and recirculated and it, everyone starts kind of believing it. It becomes like, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever paid any attention to the crypto sphere, mm. um, that's how, how price, prices are seemingly driven there. So, yeah, I just wonder whether the RBA is sitting there going, sitting there going well, no, we're, t- we're telling you. <laughs> we're telling you we're not going to do it. And everyone's like, yeah, we know, yeah. we know, but we think, like, I'm hearing a lot of noise. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, Phil Lowe literally came out a couple of weeks ago and said, I can't understand why people are pre- pricing in rate hikes. And so we were like, that's a pretty clear signal. I'm like, we hear what you're saying, yeah. Phil. You're going to hike rates, eh? <laughs> no, I'm genuinely not. I'm like, L- I'm telling you. Yeah, literally saying <laughs> yeah, I'm not. got it. Wink, wink. <laughs> Well, yeah, the other, I mean, the other thing you've got to remember with this 2.1%, it's still a very soft outcome. So, like, in the US right now, they're running at 3.6%. In the UK, they're at 2.9%. Over in New Zealand, they're at 4.9%. And that big jump, yeah, that was a big jump. And that force, and the, RB, the RBNZ hiked rates to 0.5% on the back of that inflation number. Hiked rates to 0.5%. <laughs> people, people in the 80s, people who grew up with 15% interest rates on their mortgage, they go, you can't use the word hiked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From zero to 0.5. No, it, it is funny. There's only two ways that interest rates move. Either they're hiked by 0.25%, which is the minimum yeah. amount that it can be raised. <laughs> Or they're slashed by zero point two five percent. That's that's I they're know. the only options. There's no. It's like if you ever lose a match at like um, a Grand Slam tennis tournament, you are either bundled out <laughs> or you crashed out of of the third round. You didn't just lose; you mm. were bundled out in the third round, or you crashed out. Yeah, it's just the bloody media again. Yeah. Right. So we've got inflation all over the world. I mean, so the big promise I was told, I was given, was that. Money printing, quantitative easing, wasn't going to cause inflation. There was, you know, it's different this time. People don't understand. We weren't looking at inflation and yet here we are, what, like a couple of years into the money printing machine and inflation is kicking off all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the key question is is whether it is structural or whether it's temporary. And, and the, the really interesting thing about COVID is that the COVID crash wasn't as deep as people expected not, not anywhere near it. And the snapback was much quicker than people expected. Mm. And that's created all these dislocations in global supply chains, like chips are an example. So pe- people slashed chip production, microchip production, but then demand actually surged. And now, so now there's a shortage in microchips. Mm. And that's sort of happening on all sorts of levels. And that's then feeding through into, into, into prices. But it's... It's sort of like it's just a wobble because we just kind of got wrong-footed by where COVID was going. So it's sort of the question is once we once we get 
find our balance again once the global economy finds its balance and we put the the wobble of the covid wrong footing behind us then where do we sit with inflation and that that's right. that's the question and that's what sort of Phil Lowe's looking through and saying like yeah when i look through that i don't see any wages pressure and until i see wages pressure i'm not expecting to see sustained inflation Sounds a lot like classic economist, yeah, but, but you know, because economists predict things and then, and then things don't go the way that they, and then everyone's like, oh, yeah, but like we had the things bounce back quicker than we were expecting. Mm. Like, you know, we're, <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, that's, you know, why didn't you see it coming? Like, that's the, mm. so, mm. I don't know. Well, Phil, like, I'm, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on team Phil, um. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Whatever that's worth, can I come to dinner as well? <laughs> All right, Thomas, you spotted something interesting in the Woolworths results this week. What was it? Yeah, so Woolworths got a trading update from those guys. They they were had a 20.1% increase in net profits to 1.5 billion. It's a big number. Uh, sales were up 3.9%. Online shopping was up to a record 1.9 billion, and that was up 54% compared with a year ago. Mm. So, what do you think? How do you think markets reacted to seeing a 20% increase in profits? <laughs> um, I'm guessing the share price tanked as a result of profits because that doesn't make sense, which means it's probably what happened. Yeah, share prices fell 3%. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So right. there was big, big, big numbers, but less than people than markets were expecting. Right. Uh, yeah. So and kind of seeing through the noise, sales were up eight point seven percent on two years ago. So on pre-COVID numbers, so not a huge thing. And there was a downturn in sales, which uh, Brad Banducci, uh, the CEO of Woolworths, put down to people going out for dinner. So saying that in with the economy reopening, people are going out for dinner, and that's slowing. Uh, grocery sales because people aren't eating at home as much can it have that bigger impact though like people i mean people surely that's a temporary blip like because you can only afford to go out for dinner so much can't you i mean yeah possibly like people have been saving i guess people have been saving for a long time in lockdown they can't go out so now they've got pent-up money they go like, what's it go out for dinner like every night who wants maccas well I, th- I think it's probably just returning to normal because you panducci was saying it's slowing off some very high numbers so mm. they they Woolworths and the grocery retailers did see a, b- a boom in sales with with the COVID lockdowns and people just eating at home more. Mm. Yeah, so mm. I think that's the story. So I think I think it's I think it's interesting that we did see there's a, there's an interesting chart. Maybe I'll share it to Instagram that looks at goods consumption and services consumption. And basically, the idea is that good cons- goods consumption boomed. There was a pivot to online retail, which um, you, you can see that in, in the Woolworths numbers as well. Mm. But the goods consumption didn't slow down. It actually jumped up above trend, whereas services consumption, that, that did go, that did, that did take a hit, which is, makes sense because you just yeah. can't go out and get, you know, one-on-one haircuts, haircuts and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the question becomes, the, the really interesting question going forward is, does services rejoin goods con- goods consumption? Like, is goods consumption high because there's so much money in the system, and now that people are able to consume services, does that bounce back? That's one mm. scenario. The second scenario is that there was just a substitution between services and goods because people couldn't buy services; they just put that money into goods, and that saw that caused a, a jump in goods. 
can't get a haircut, I'm going to sit at home and eat chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> so it needs to, they, they, they need to level out somehow. So does one go up or does the other one come down? Well, no, they don't, they don't need to balance out necessarily. Like in that first scenario, services consumption rebounds. The, the, in the first scenario, goods consumption is high because there's so much money in the system. We know that household incomes are up. We know that household savings are up where pre, pre, on pre-COVID levels. And that's consistent with a boom in consumption. So in the first scenario, goods consumption remains high and services com- consumption joins it bounces back quickly and if that's if that's the case then we're looking at a pretty epic boom in services from current levels because current levels are depressed so they'll come back to trend yeah. and then bounce back even higher so you could see a real boom in services consumption i saw a um i saw a, a thing on tv the other day some hairdressers booked up until march or something. wow it's ridiculous yeah wow that's not... like that's a that's a problem for people like me that don't book yeah right like i just I just rock up and go, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Can you cut my hand now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, people are booked up all over the place for a long time. Yeah. So maybe it is, maybe it is that's, that's the scenario. Maybe we're going to see an epic lift in services consumption. I'll be fascinated to see if um, online shopping stays high mm. or if, if people have made the shift because I hate it. Like I, I love buying things online like amazon ebay i'm all over it that's how i get a lot of things but grocery shopping it's not yeah right and from what i can tell it's not for people i know like people in my i guess for me young families we're time poor right and so to me it was like no-brainer online grocery shopping is the way to go but it's too unreliable. It's too unpredictable. In terms of the quality you get. You get things, things aren't, are not in stock. Things are, uh, get substituted for other things because, you know, we didn't have this brand so or this, you know, type of muesli or whatever, so we've given you cornflakes. Oh, really? They do that? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, they can just they swap things in. So we've, we've tried it maybe three times, um, and each time we've just been kind of gone, all right, we'll just get like the – bare basics and so we still need a trip to the shop yeah gotcha gotcha so i'd be fascinated to see because it didn't it wasn't catching on in australia Mm. online grocery shopping was was growing really slowly from what Mm. i from what i recall and then the pandemic hit and it's like this is people didn't want to go to the shops people couldn't go to the shops so online shopping just boomed Mm -hmm. i'm going to be really fascinated to see whether it continues yeah yeah it will be very interesting people are kind of used to it now and maybe was the pandemic constructed by grocery companies? <laughs> I'm just saying. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> was Woolworths and Coles behind the pandemic? Yeah. That's all I'm asking. It's a simple question. I'm just going to put it out there. Okay, let's take a break there. We'll go grab a word from our sponsors and be back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. And don't forget you can send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or through the website, equitymates.com forward slash CVE. And of course, as I mentioned, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at CVE Podcast. Thomas, the government has bought a phone company. <laughs> I thought we already have one. Uh, you know, that's not exactly what's happening. So Telstra is buying a phone company. Telstra is buying Digicel Pacific, paying for US $1.6 billion. Digicel Pacific is the South Pacific's biggest telco business, headquartered in PNG, Papua New Guinea. Opera, also operates in Vanuatu, Nauru, Samoa, Tonga, and Fiji. Has $2.5 million phone and internet subscribers and 1700 employees and telstra's buying it they're yeah but they're doing it with the government so of that one us 1.6 billion telstra is chipping in a modest 270 million so the government is stumping up the remaining 1.4 odd billion dollars or more uh, but doing that through debt and equity, so they're going to lend them some money and take a bit of an. E- the government is going to take an equity stake in Digicel. I think is the is how that's going to work. So the government's buying some shares. Uh, kind of, yeah, yeah. You could kind of say it like that, yeah. Well, but yeah, it's more that they're funding Telstra to go and buy Digicel. They provide, yeah. So the export finance corporations involved. So Telstra's Telstra's a private company, mm. right? They they used to be owned by the government. They're now a private company. So is the government is this is this unusual for the government to be lending money or giving money to a private company to buy other companies? I'm not sure. I'm aware. I don't know of a precedent in recent times where it's like this. So the the key the key thing is that. Uh, the Australian government was worried that a foreign power, which in brackets is China, um, it yeah, always is. Yeah, just once I'd love it to be like New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, it's, yeah, they're worried that China was going to buy Digicel Pacific and then control the phone networks around Australia in in the in the Pacific, which was seen as seen as a worry. So yeah, so that so that's what's driving this. This this is why they're stumping up the money because they don't want China to control yeah the phone networks in there. Yeah, right. So it's a, a risk mitigation thing. They're like, this is this this has got problems written all over it. If yeah, yeah, yeah. like given given the te- current tensions, it's just is seen as mm. as a situation that they would much rather avoid. So I thought it was interesting because I thought it was about Chinese companies then controlling the network, but saying it's more than that. So the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. The head of international cyber policy, Fergus Hansen, says that, yeah, Chinese national security law obligates its private entities to assist the Chinese state's espionage activities. So they could could be spying. But the bigger risk was maliciously changing the information environment through default settings of news providers on mobile phones, which we know through wolf warrior diplomacy is a real thing. So... Wolf Warriors, I don't know if you've come across this term before, there was, there was a famous movie in China 
about the wolf warriors who are some sort of patriotic warrior types or something in, in this sort of his, historical movie. Um, but th- we've now got wolf warrior diplomacy. So what that calls is, is diplomacy that's a bit on the aggressive side towards China's um, diplomatic ends. Things like tariffs and trade bans and stuff like that, but also getting in and yeah, messing around in, in the diplomatic sphere as well. So that's that's what's called wolf warrior diplomacy. But part of that, they're saying, is that they'll get in and change the default news settings so that everyone in, in the Pacific would then see China-friendly news or news angles that would would promote China's interests, which, you know, which would probably involve trashing Australia. And then in, in that way, turn the Pacific populations against Australia. And that's, and that's, what, that's what Fergus Hansen says is, is the real issue there. And that's why, they, why the government's not really willing to tolerate Chinese ownership of Digicel. There wasn't actually an offer on the table from China, by the way. Like, it was just a, just a potential threat. But, we, but China has formed there. Like, it has been – it buys up infrastructure in, in particular countries around the world in mm. order to have, have that influence. Ah, interesting. Yeah, well, I guess, the, I guess the Chinese will have to just keep coming in through the back door like that. Yeah. <laughs> Now that we've bought the front door and locked yeah. it. <laughs> oh, well, I guess we'll just keep coming around the back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, so it's, 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 it's a big deal. So it's, it's bigger. This, this investment on the Australian government's part is bigger than all Pacific aid combined in this one deal. Yeah, so it's, right. it's, pretty, it's, yeah, it's substantial. And markets have, have generally reacted pretty well. Pen, Pengana Capital's principal, Rhett Kessler, says it's a very elegant deal because – it's sort of not tenable for the government. The government itself doesn't want to own Digicel. Doesn't want to be managing a phone company like that in a foreign yeah. in a foreign country. It's like it's got an aging three G network, and we didn't even want to manage a phone company <laughs> in our own country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so yeah, so so it, it enables the government to do that. John Keogh at the AFR says Australia is weaponizing corporate power. So. Telstra's got runs on the board with running a running a network, and so we, we, we're weaponizing that capability in order to meet our strategic agenda. So yeah, so it's elegant in that sense. Like it, it we we address the strategic risks, but without having to run a, having the government having to run a phone company. And then on the other side, it's quite a good deal for Telstra. So Telstra's chipping in just two hundred and seventy million out of the in the total mm. deal. But for that, they're buying a business that generates two hundred and thirty-three million of annual free cash flow. So they they get their money back in like a year and a quarter or something like that. And what happens to the money that the the taxpayer has given Telstra? Well, they they they're paying it back? back, yeah. And then and then because there's an equity stake as well. So they buy Digicel, yeah. they they start they start making money, and then they pay us. Back. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then, yeah, because we've got an equity stake, so there's, yeah, we'll get a get a share of the profits. And we'll get dividends. Yeah. Little. Is this the tip of the iceberg, though? Is the government going to just start casually investing in companies? And it's because yeah. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. If it's my money. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's very interesting. Do we, can we can we put suggestions on the table as the companies we'd like to buy? <laughs> yeah. Be <Few> speckies. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I think I think there's a very clear strategic imperative with this one. Like, it's the, it's quite clear why why it makes sense for Australia to to buy Digicel. Yeah, and I don't think there's going to be many many companies where that 
that um, happens. But you could you could imagine you could imagine ports in Indonesia or you know you know runways in. What did we <laughs> hang on? We sold a port in, in Darwin. Darwin to the Chinese. Well, we, didn't we? Yeah, I think we're in the process of taking that. But back. now we bought yeah, it back. Yeah, I think we're undoing yeah. that one. <laughs> like, Oops. <laughs> We've learned from the lessons of the past. <laughs> Don't sell ports. Instead, let's buy phone companies in other countries. Yeah, yeah. I think I think what's really interesting for, for, in this for me is just how quickly this this pivot is playing out. So the port of Darwin sale that was only five or six years ago or something. And yeah, yeah. So back then it was like, yeah, fine. Let we'll let China run the ports, no worries. And now we're like, we're not even willing to let China run phone networks in foreign countries, let alone a port domestically. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I think this this pivot this in the in global politics is is has been really rapid, and I'm not sure that the markets are really sort of caught up with with what all this means and i don't know that anyone really knows what it means but we we've moved from a reality where china was everyone's best friend and and the production house of the world to now it's becoming recognized for the us and uh, and australia as a strategic rival and that has very different implications and i think we're still still figuring it all out but as you say if if we (laughs) it was only five years ago that they were our best friend and and it was all happy families and now it's not. So we're like, ah, oh, quick, we've got to buy this phone company to protect our interests. Well, what about in five years' time when, you know, we've kissed and made up and everyone's happy again? Now we've got this phone company. We <laughs> get cheap, cheap international calls to Nauru, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. check on the offshore detention centres. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but, but commercially the deal kind of stacks up and that, that's sort of been the, the feedback mm. from the financial press. Is, is it's not that just buying a dog that's unprofitable just for the sake of it like mm. it it seems like a reasonable asset and Telstra's share price jumped two percent on the deal so i think markets see it pretty favorably yeah okay very good all right thomas guess what big news there's a new crypto Ooh, coin a new one <laughs> <laughs> i know you love your crypto world coin is being spouted now i shared this uh, i shared this article with you during the week i came across it you know in my extensive reading that i do throughout <laughs> the week so there's a new coin i'm keen to get your thoughts on on this world coin which is a, a new idea to give everyone in the world some crypto mm, mm. The, essentially it's been it's been started by sam altman name? sam altman who was behind like y combinator and some other kind of big, mm. big um investment He's a Silicon, Silicon Valley legend, old Sam. Yeah. Mm. So he's got this vision where he wants to give everyone in the world some crypto. And all you have to do to get your free crypto is agree to have your retina scanned <laughs> <laughs> by an orb operator in your local area. Yeah. Iris scanning orbs. What, yeah. what did you make of it? So part of me loves it. Part of me loves loves the idea that they're just going to airdrop it to everyone. That if you mm. exist, you're entitled to some world coin. Is kind of that yeah. that idea. I like that. Like, I think one of the things about Bitcoin that people gloss over is that seventy percent of Bitcoin is controlled by whales. So, like, by the the one percent or the few the few billionaires that have seventy percent yeah. coins, the Elon Musks of the yeah, world. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, like, a big. Or probably even the silent, the, the more silent ones that have probably even more than Elon Musk. Yeah, that's right. So like in terms of like setting up a new global currency, you know, to set it up mm. and then give 70% to a bunch of billionaires seems like a really terrible way to uh, establish a, a new currency. It was fascinating. There's only 3.9% of the world own crypto. At mm. the so it seems like it's everywhere. It seems like everyone's got some crypto. 
you know, mm. everyone's talking last week about Shiba Inu going to the moon. Mm. It just feels like everyone's got crypto in some form, even if it's just a little bit. But it's 3.9% of the world that own crypto. Mm, mm. Yeah. I mean, see, you, forget, you forget this living in Australia, but like we're in the top one. If you're an Australian, you're in the top 1% of the global wealth distribution. Like there's a lot of poor mm. people in the world. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they're not, they're not out there buying crypto. Um, so, so I like, I like no. that element of it. But it's, it's, but it's got no value right at the moment. So, so this world coin, it has, he's just creating it. As, as all crypto coins start, mm. they're created, they have no value. They have no intrinsic value mm. to begin with. Mm-hmm. Do they? I mean, that's, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Most have no intrinsic value to end with. <laughs> hey, can you just park your crypto skepticism for a moment? <laughs> We're talking about world-changing, like world solving world problems here, yeah, Thomas. Right, all right, right. and some, yeah. some positive use for crypto. <laughs> Just put your put your bloody crypto skeptic hat, hat off for a moment. And, no, so they have no value to begin with, and then over time, <laughs> um, as people buy into them, and because the, the the supply of those coins is limited, then people want them, and, and demand pushes up the price of the coin. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that generally how it works? Yeah, yeah. So he's saying we're going to have all these coins and we're going to give them out to everyone in the world. So everyone in the world is entitled to one. And the way that they're going to enable this to happen, to make sure that no one kind of just rocks up and says, oh, I haven't got any of my world coin mm. yet. Can I, have, can I have one, please, even though I've you know, can't, you, I already got one, is they're going to scan your retina, mm, mm. which sounds really intrusive and really really sort of privacy breaching Mm. (laughs) like i think if the vaccination rollout has taught us anything (laughs) so people aren't really that keen for the government or anyone to be collecting too much of their personal data Mm. um, especially if it involves some sort of biological component yeah so it sounds horrendous but they're saying that what they're going to do is they're going to create a hash of your retina scan mm. so everyone's retina scan is they're saying it's the most reliable in terms of uniqueness mm. so mm. it's really hard to forge it's more it's more unique than a fingerprint for example you can use your fingerprint mm. um it's more reliable than, than your face obviously so they're going to take a retina scan and they've promised that they're not going to then save that image anywhere mm. what they're going to do is they're going to convert that effectively into a cryptographic hash mm. um, which is a long string of of numbers and letters and and that hash becomes your your personal identifier, and then that hash gets assigned some crypto. So they then promise, and it's all promises. They then promise to delete mm. the the retina image of your eyeball. Mm. So they actually don't need to. They don't need to even record your name anyway or anything about you because they've got your eyeball scan. Mm. So they just need to know that that eyeball <laughs> has got its world coin already. Yeah. Which I think is kind of cool, but it's a very, it's a very labor-intensive process to scan everyone's eyeball. Yeah, yeah. Well, some yeah. The, the, so the eyeball scanner is called an orb because he must like dystopian fiction. And there's mm. or, there's entrepreneurs are given orbs to run this thing. So the the orb operators must get some kind of cut or something. So they're running a pilot program at the moment. Yes, 30 orbs run by 25 entrepreneurs in Chile, Kenya, Indonesia, Sudan, and France. And they're going to increase mm. orb production to 50,000 a year. So the interesting thing, like the referral codes are everywhere, right? Like if, if I wanted to get you, 
if I if I refer you to say I don't know um, self wealth trading platform, mm. I give you a referral code. You go, oh, thanks. You get five free trades, and I get five free trades, or something like that. But with this one, you get more world coin. So if you if I refer you, if I go and get you to get your retina scanned, then I get some world coin as well. Mm. So like this is like this is dystopian future Tupperware parties. <laughs> this is like. People are going to have little parties at their house <laughs> with an orb scanner and <laughs> inviting your friends around. Just like, hey, yeah, no, just come around. We'll have a few drinks, coffees, whatever. And oh, what? Someone's brought an orb scanner. <laughs> oh, why don't we all get our eyeball scan? <laughs> It'll be fun. Yeah, I, that, that's going to be fascinating to see whether the power of the referral will get people to scan their eyeball for the promise of some crypto, mm. which may or may not be worth anything. Mm, mm. But he's talking about he's talking about it potentially solving universal basic income. Yeah. Do, do you see a way that that can kind of eventuate? Um, yeah, Altman's been a, been talking about UBI for a while, and he floated an idea that a glo- like last year that a global UBI, so universal basic income, so free money, people, everyone's getting free money mm. basically could be funded by profits generated by a powerful artificial general intelligence or AGI. So I don't know if you know, have done much reading about AGI, but it's potentially world-ending if it, if it goes wrong. So it's like super intelligent artificial intelligence. Mm. And there's a lot of, yeah, it's worth, worth digging up. We should, we should do a show on it because there's a lot of scenarios where AGI goes rogue pretty quickly if it's just designed it poorly and destroys the world. Yeah, Terminator 2 taught us that. Yeah, so that that vision that he outlined there of a, U, a UBI funded by AGI profits, that that freaked a lot of people out. But he's still he's still backing it and he still thinks that could be an idea and then could Worldcoin could be a way to to distribute that. But UBI is a bit different from just giving people a one-off payment. So sort of the idea with the UBI is that every month or whatever you get the money you need for your basic needs. And then that's the recurring income streams, not a, not a one-off payment. So I don't, mm. yeah, but he's, he's saying it is an experiment. He's saying like, yeah, one thing I believe is that you do an experiment. You do a first thing and then you learn and you discover all sorts of things about what works and what we can improve. There will be many answers to how this could be something, could something like this could become a closer to a UBI. So he's saying it's a first step towards a UBI. Let's get everyone a bunch mm. of free money and then see what happens. See, see how it works. Yeah. So that's an, that's an interesting idea. I mean, I, I, like, I like that intention to it, like trying to solve that problem. Like I think mm. one of the things that I struggle with the whole crypto universe is how much it's driven by speculation and how much it's like get on board and mm. watch, watch your currency go to the moon and, yep, it's going to save the planet at some point, but in the meantime, I'm just going to make a bunch of cash and buy a Lambo. Like for me, I find it very hard to believe that the solution to – the global economic crisis is a speculative frenzy. Like I, I kind of yeah. hard, hard to imagine that that ends well. So I kind of like that this is trying like goes to that directly and goes like, well, let's distribute it equally from the get go and to everyone. And it's super ambitious. Like they're talking about getting it to 1 billion people by the end of 2022. It's only 14 months away. So that's a, that's a massive rollout, but yeah. So I, I like I do like that in that I like that element of it a lot. Yeah, it's nice. Like, but this guy's 
it's nice. It, it sounds good that he's saying I want to give everyone free money, but he's just giving everyone a worthless coin at this point until it finally becomes money. So I guess we'll, there's lots to see here and, and lots to go before this uh, eventuates into something meaningful. But still, it's an interesting idea. So all right, look, that's, let's leave it there. Uh, end of the show for this week. Thank you very much for tuning in. We really appreciate your support. Uh, don't forget, uh, you can send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or on the website, equitymates.com forward slash CVE, Instagram and Facebook at CVE Podcast. And don't forget, lots of other good shows from Equity Mates Media, Get Started Investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast, You're in Good Company, Talk Money to Me, and starting very soon, Crypto Curious. Um, very much looking forward to that. If you're enjoying the, the crypto chat here, you will certainly enjoy that show. So lots to look forward to. Thank you once again for tuning in. We do appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again next week. See you then. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.